This is The Road to Wholeness. Well, I want to welcome everyone to The Road to Wholeness podcast. And today we have Dan Allender on the show. He is a professor of counseling and psychology at the Seattle School and founder of the Allender Center. He speaks on trauma, sexual abuse recovery, love and forgiveness and intimacy. He's also a popular podcaster on the Allender Center podcast and the author of many outstanding books that I know will help you all tremendously on your road to wholeness. And Dan, I just want to say a big thank you to you as well, because you've been a huge mentor of mine from afar over the last two years through your writing, uh, your work with John Eldridge and his friends. And I'm just beyond excited to have you on the podcast today. Josh, my delight. And again, what a what a lovely gift that we have to be able to, you know, have a conversation and it shows up in someone's home. I'm still old enough to be, uh, you know, a little bit surprised by, you know, the privilege and the technology to be able to do this. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to welcome you to the road to wholeness. And, you know, I want to dive into the topic of redeeming heartache, which is, also, the, the title of your new book, which I absolutely loved and want everybody to go out and get that. And um, But I know one of the, the big things on your heart is it's just helping people to identify trauma that they may have forgotten. And um, why do you think it's so pivotal that we've got to go back before moving forward, especially when it comes to redeeming heartaches and restoring wholeness? Well, let's just start with an obvious but really important statement. We all live east of Eden. And anytime you live in a fallen world, you're going to have heartache. You're going to have struggles. But I I think it's really important to use the word trauma. And uh, sometimes we think trauma is where uh, there's a, a death or a severe accident or a terrible form of abuse. And all those and certainly include the word trauma. But there are so many experiences in life where if we don't have the language of what trauma does to our own heart, mind, and body, we can easily think in some sense it's our failure or fault. But Mm. if we just start with the obvious point, trauma is whenever you've got a major threat against something core, to your life. Mm. Literally, a threat to your life is trauma, but a threat to your marriage, a threat to your job, a threat to uh, your body, uh, any deep threat. And sometimes those can be very subtle threats, um, uh, open the door to a sense of fragmentation. And that's one of the key things that you know, in, in many communities, we don't talk about what happens in the brain when trauma occurs and we begin to fragment. So fragmentation is a key part that comes with any form of trauma and how we engage that, uh, we have to name it first. And so if we don't do the work of dealing with trauma in the present, your question was, why go back? Well, because trauma resides, Mm -hmm. dwells in the body and it doesn't go away by mere prayer, Uh, mere wish, or by time itself. So in some ways, it's kind of like a poorly broken, I mean, a broken bone that gets poorly treated. You can learn to adapt, but you will never use your arm the way it was meant to. So as difficult as it may sound, sometimes we got to go back 
and re-engage the harm in order to be in a restorative process that takes us to a wholeness that we all know we desperately want. Wow. Yeah, that is so good. And, and, and I know a lot of people, like you said, they don't even really identify that they went through trauma. I know I remember the first time I ever went to see a counselor and I was telling them my story and, and he just said, Josh, do you know how much trauma you've been through in your life? And I'm like, um, no, I mean, I mean, you know, isn't this just what life kind of is? And, and especially the, the, the two years where I was a church planter in Nashville and, uh, I just had so many people like just leave. And I just felt like I was getting stabbed in the back after, you know, so many times over and over again. And I was describing some of these things that had happened and, and, um, and he was just like, yeah. And, and these things right here, like this is a form of, of, of trauma and you've got to recognize that. So uh, why do we have such a hard time even recognizing it? And oh, it, 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 the fragmentation we handle essentially by just getting numb. Mm. And I, that's a second major factor of almost all forms of trauma. You, your body, your mind begins to dissociate. You, you, distract yourself, you get busy, you take on new projects, and they all seem, oh, totally legitimate and often are. But in doing that, and again, the more obvious forms of dissociation, alcohol, drugs, sex, but we've got Netflix, we've got numbing of looking at Instagram. All that to say, the, the, the more numbness we allow ourselves to feel or not feel allows us to look like we're surviving and maybe even to some people's eyes thriving. But when you fragment and then your body and heart turns numb, you you just sort of like, "Ah, this is life. This is normal. It's no big deal. I'll just keep going. You might be able to get away with that for a season. Right. But the guarantee is it's going to bite you in the butt. Yes. Uh, and eventually that biting is actually the gift of God to say, I want you to wake up. I, I want you to step out of this functioning numbness and begin to allow your heart to grieve. Yes. To, in one sense, rage, to, to, to be angry and to enter into the visceral consequences of what you indeed have suffered. But most of us, when we get in that, especially if you're in leadership, and what you've described is if you're a leader, you're traumatized, period. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Ain't no other way of putting it. Yes. And I mean, a leader, I like you, you're, 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 you're the leader of a seven-year-old soccer group. Right. I, I don't care what you're doing as a leader, you're going to get bit. So right. this interplay of fragmentation, numbness, but the, the third word I'd bring with regard to trauma is we isolate. Mm-hmm. Now we can be very social, mm-hmm. uh, but when I say isolate, I don't mean so much cutting yourself off from all human beings. It's we isolate our own heartache mm-hmm. from having any access to anyone else that can begin the process uh, of engaging our brokenness, but yeah. also 
our stunning beauty. And that isolation is really where the kingdom of evil desires. Cut yourself off, live alone, don't let anybody know, just survive, keep going, it'll all be fine. Just shut up and do what you need to do. And all I can say is it may work for a season, but the reality is the body was never meant, the soul was never meant to endure that. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I know I failed my body. It, it, it started getting into having a panic attacks and, and I thought it was just high blood pressure because I have hereditary, hereditary high blood pressure um, issues in my family. And so I was going to the doctor and they were just giving me a pill for my blood pressure. And then it's finally, I was having um, a panic attack and I didn't know it. And I went to the, the ER when I was on a trip with my wife um, to Sacramento, California, and I found myself in the hospital and this doctor just looked at me and said, Josh, you're perfectly healthy. You run half marathons. You, you do all these things. He, he said, this is a panic attack. You know, how much stress do you have? And, and I was like, man, I don't feel like I ever have an escape from stress right now. You know, I go home and I'm stressed. I go into work and I'm stressed. And, 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 and so he began to go, Hey, you need to look into some breathing techniques. You need to learn into, to lean into some more counseling, this and this and this. And, and it was through the process of just realizing that of just how much trauma was actually stored in my body, not just in that season, but then through, you know, my, my father, who I didn't really know, know, he, he died when. I was a, a senior in college of a massive heart attack and asleep. And he was kind of in and out of my life, my whole entire life. And, and just, you know, th- this constant pressure. I grew up in a single wide trailer um, in, in uh, a little small town in Virginia. And, and this pressure of me having to get out of that and, and make something of myself and like all these things. I mean, there was just so much stuff that was being stored that I had no idea that was there. And, and so that's one of the things I love about your work with trauma. Thank you. Well, you, you've named so much important for all of us. Look, pressure and who can escape it? Nobody can yeah. bring stress, but stress that is unabated. It, it just doesn't stop. Literally is a form of trauma. Mm. So, you know, heightened stress over seasons that stress is a threat to your life. Mm. We go numb and we isolate. And all I can say is when we begin to see that even small forms of trauma, you know, an insult from your spouse, uh, you know, you can, you, you know, he or she loves you. It's fine. You'll get over it. But over seasons, even small remarks have that threat, have that, I won't feel this. Uh, And I'm not going to let him or her know what I really feel. So when we begin to look at trauma and to say it, it can't be avoided, how do we then engage it? That's where we're trying, you know, in the new book, uh, Redeeming Heartache, to basically say we've got categories, significant archetypes in the Bible that open the door for the naming. And that's a key word. We, we cannot address what we don't name. Mm. So we put words to the reality that everyone to one degree or another is an orphan, is a stranger, and a widow or widower. And we unfortunately think of those as too concrete. Like if you've got parents, you're not an orphan. Uh, you know, if you're not a foreigner, you're not a stranger. If you're not 
literally with a spouse who has passed, you're not a widower. And those categories are very concrete, but they're also symbolic, metaphoric. They actually describe realities that we've got a name about living in a fallen world. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know that was huge for me, especially that that chapter on the stranger, because, you know, like I said, growing up how I did, feeling like I always had to make something of myself. It was like, okay, what tables can I get in? And and the thing that I had was uh, was talent through acting and communicating and speaking and all these things, you know, and so I would I would just, you know, try to do the best I could at those things. And then I would find myself in those tables, but I still also found myself as a stranger for most of my life too. And so um, talk to us a, a, about that a little bit. Well, uh, uh, let me just kind of work. The, the orphan actually feels like they have lost their name. That yeah. is, they, they've lost the ability to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can have parents and not feel safe. Yes, You don't really feel safe or provided for. And when you feel that, in many ways, you're experiencing a form of trauma. And that lack of attunement, lack of care, lack of I know you, we are meant to be known. And when we live in a family or in a marriage or in friendships where people don't want to know you, that leaves you empty. And the orphan feels like he or she has to constantly provide for herself. And that sense of nobody's going to come through for me. No one's going to satisfy my heart. Well, it leaves you exhausted. Yes. It leaves you hypervigilant, but different than the stranger. And for many of us who have not sort of fit with Uh, the world around us, uh, either because of poverty uh, or because we we think differently or we look different or we've got certain kinds of physical handicaps that put us in a position of not being at least viewed by many as beautiful. So that sense of I don't fit leaves you so often with a to hell with you all. Yeah. So an anger, a cynicism, an indifference, but also a deep pressure of how do I get in? Mm-hmm. I hate you who are in. Yes. But I also need you. How do I get in? Yes. And so often the prophet in that sense within us uh, wants to cry out, this is wrong. Yet we're also compromising ourselves to try and figure out a way in. So the stranger feels constant conflict, Mm -hmm. a a deep, deep sense of, um, I want in, but I don't really know if I will ever be fully accepted. So that loneliness, uh, that sense of isolation, it's, it's really profound. And the widower, if we can put it just in very simple terms, struggles with the question of, will I ever be loved? And if I was loved, will I ever be loved again? Mm. So that kind of loss uh, leaves us in a position of, I'm never going to really, really open my heart again. So when we talk about trauma, it's so important to know, is this an orphan part of you? Mm -hmm. Is this a stranger part of you? Is this a widow? part of you. And and as we begin to name harm, we have now the opportunity to, in one sense, what we name, we can address. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we we don't hear the knock on the door, we're not going to open it. But if we hear the knock, 
ah, I do know what it means to feel like a stranger. Then the question of, well, what does the stranger, what does the widow, what does the orphan try to do to get back into Eden? And Eden, uh, as you know only too well, uh, has at least two angels blocking. But that's what we're all, we're all trying to figure a way to get back into what we were meant for. Yes. And the way is barred. Uh, and so I love the name of your podcast because this whole issue of wholeness, we often try to return to gain wholeness, which only creates more fragmentation, more numbness, more isolation, in other words, more trauma. So trauma begets trauma. Mm. And those, uh, shall we say, offspring uh, often not only add to some of the original trauma, but intensify it. Right, right. And and we've obviously seen a lot of that being intensified there through the pandemic that we just went through as well, too. I mean, you know, I, I, I know um, uh, another mentor of mine is one of your friends, John Eldridge. Yeah, you know, for he's kind of been a, a mentor of mine from afar. And I know I was listening to a podcast with him, I think last week, actually. And he was talking about how you two were having a great conversation on just the long-term effects of the the pandemic and and how our souls are being told to move faster just move on like go back to work get back to normal then what our souls are able to actually take in like our souls are not even healed from the trauma that we went through through everything and and the things that we just endured and then it's just like okay yeah well you've got to produce now okay and so uh, uh, talk to me a little bit about that well, it, it, I don't know if you've ever had like a significant, well, let's just make it like pneumonia yeah. where, you know, you're down for three, four weeks and, you know, you start coming back, you know, you get a little bit of health, but you're still 30%, 40%. But six weeks later, you're doing pretty good. You're 80, 80, 90%. And then you are like ramped up to return to all the things that you need to do, that you lost doing, and then what happens? Recovery often leads to relapse Mm. uh, because we have not actually grieved what we lost Mm -hmm. and actually come to be able to name some of that will be only returned in the coming kingdom. Yes. Uh, And so can I grieve but also hope simultaneously. Can I let go and also anticipate? Well, that's just, for most people, doing one or the other is almost impossible. Right. Because it's too much of a risk. Nonetheless, to do both? Yep. Well, that is about the only antidote to the inevitable struggle of relapse. And I'm watching it. I mean, I'm watching it in my own family, in my own life, where, you know, April, May, June, things were like, this is great. We have people in our home finally. We're able to go out. And then as Delta increases, as the threat is higher, and you start making a few, a little, you know, I've just watched so many people get angrier. Yes. Like like the the pro-mask, the the anti-mask, the pro-vaccine. Again, uh, I, I wear masks. I'm vaccinated, but I'm watching in one sense, the polarization intensify 
to a point where you go, oh, please hear this well. Numbness often isn't an absence of feeling. It's a feeling that takes over all other feelings. Mm. So I'm watching rage on the road. Uh, I'm a motorcyclist. And I'm telling you the last six months of riding has been treacherous because people, people aren't stopping at stop signs. They're going, I mean, it's like, I, I think I think I think walking might be a, a better route. <laughs> than, but you start looking at the fact that when you demand a return to Eden, and you don't get in, yeah, you are going to be even angrier. Yeah, than exactly. you were before. Yeah, it's like what is going on here? You know, I mean, I, I know for me, my, my wife and I, we had a trip to Cabo planned. And, uh, and then, um, I was doing some work and at a retreat and one of the, the people at the retreat called us on that Friday and was like, Hey, I, I got COVID. Um, and then I started feeling some minor symptoms, um, had a positive at home test. And then, uh, my wife was like, okay, well now we got to cancel this and uh, we got to cancel this trip. And I was like, what? I had my heart set on going to Cabo. You don't know how long, like, like we haven't had, we have three small kids nine-year-old seven-year-old four-year-old and and we haven't had a night in a hotel just us in like two years essentially it seems or a year and a half or whatever it is and I was so looking forward to this and then within 24 hours boom it's gone and then I go the very next day and get a negative test and oh, they're like oh, okay well, you oh. can go and we had already canceled everything by that point you know oh and, oh I'm I'm, I'm I'm it's brutal I'm, yeah. I'm oh and, and, and some people would go, well, that's not trauma, Josh. That, and I'm like, no, that's a little, that's a little T trauma that happened in my life that I significantly lost something that I was so looking forward to. And, and there's so many of those that have happened uh, to, to so many people. I mean, am I right in that? How do we acknowledge those, Dan? Well, and I, let's start with that phrase. Look at fragmentation. And what I mean by fragmentation is you don't think as well as you normally do. In Mm. part, trauma shuts down a portion of our brain in the left frontal lobe so that you literally are not going to think logically. You're not going to think sequentially. You're not going to think in a way as you would normally. And, And if we don't know that, like I've had a situation where my grandson had to be taken to the hospital. He was unconscious. He got hit uh, by somebody on a swing. And I mean, it's not me, but it's a threat to my very beloved grandson. Yeah. And I'm trying to get everything in order to go to the hospital. And I couldn't find my keys. I couldn't find my wallet. I couldn't, I, I mean, I've been to this hospital, uh, not a hundred times, but many times, right. I literally couldn't even get in my head wow. the route to travel. So if I were judging myself versus being able to go, Dan, y- you are fragmenting. Now, I know you need to get to the hospital, but you have to sit right now. Mm. You have to begin to go, you need to have a list that you begin to make clear what needs to be done because you need to slow down knowing your brain is not going to operate as it normally might. So just the ability to be kind. Look, this is 
it can be ignored pretty quickly when I say this phrase, change comes through kindness. Mm -hmm. And what I'm reflecting on is a passage out of Romans chapter two, verse four, where Paul says, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Yes. Now, repentance isn't feeling bad. It's a change in direction. Yeah. So what I had to do at that moment was just to literally name your fragmenting and then address the fragmentation with kindness, like slow down. Uh, Five more minutes is not going to make a major difference with regard to attending to your son, daughter-in-law, and your grandson. Wow. Slow down. And now can you bless, oh, this is so difficult. Can you bless, this is how your body has been made. You're fragmenting. What is God's plan in the fragmentation? Well, I think essentially it boils down to this. When you think you can resolve the trauma on your own, you you will do things that actually create more trauma. Mm. But fragmentation is now where you need someone to cohere, to hold together that fragmentation. So it isn't just a, a, a quick solution like pray. Right. But it is Jesus. Yeah. My grandson is yours. Yes. Not mine. Yes. And his health. And 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 what will come of this accident? It it's yours. So yeah fragmentation slows us down to come back to eventually what's most true. So that's, that's where I want to begin to say, look, kindness with regard to being a stranger. Uh, I was a weird kid. Uh, I didn't fit well. Well, own what it was like to feel isolated and alone. Mm. Now, look for how you've handled that a thousand times in a way that's actually maybe worked, but not worked. Mm -hmm. Can we begin to tend to our own way of being in the world where we don't blame it on, well, that's just my personality. Right. Maybe it's also how I've tried to sneak back into Eden. So maybe this is a redemptive moment meant to create a context for me to tend to my own heart and allow the spirit to tend to my heart in a way that brings something. And again, Cabo, darn, but maybe something even better than Cabo. Yeah. 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 That's so good. That's so good. Like learning to really slow down and bring kindness to ourselves and like loving ourselves. I, I think that's so important. That's one of the things that, that I've tried to do that uh, I heard a, a couple of years ago, just being like, okay, am I looking in the mirror every morning and being able to go, man, I love the person that I see there, you know, or do I even like that person? Yes. You know, and, and over the past two years, I went from being like, no, and now I can be able to go, okay, Jesus, help me to love that person that I'm looking at just like I would myself. Help me to love myself or or my neighbor, excuse me. Uh, Help me to love myself the way that you love me so then I can love my neighbor the way that you love my neighbor. You know, those types of things. It's beautiful. And then then take it just one step further. What about the eight-year-old 
who was drawn over to a neighbor's house because you were being groomed. And it, it, this neighbor was warm and kind and you felt cared for. And eventually uh, he sexually violated you. Mm. What do you do with that eight-year-old who was alive in that man's presence because you got cared for? What do you do with that eight-year-old boy whose body, even though there was a deep sense of violation, but still your body felt somewhat alive in that touch? See, those are the stories of trauma Mm. that more often than not, we want to forget, numb out. But when we do remember we hold that eight-year-old with, at, at, at times, at best indifference, mm-hmm. but far more often hatred. Yeah. And so to, in one sense, as you look in the mirror, can you see that eight-year-old boy? As you look in the mirror, can you see that awkward 13-year-old girl? Uh, when you look in the mirror, can you take in the stories of heartache and harm yeah. and come to that eight-year-old boy who, again, neurologically still exists. Yeah. If people say, well, that's the past. Well, let me tell you, folks, the past is neurologically operating in your brain. Mm-hmm. If you remember him in any shape or form, that eight-year-old still exists. And when I say neurologically, what I mean is your neurons hold image, feeling, thought, judgment, etc. So the idea of when you look in a mirror, you're actually looking at a small community. Wow. Yeah. And that small community of eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 16-year-old, et cetera, et cetera, it's operating today. Wow. It's still playing out today. Can we name it, address it, and open our hearts to hear what Jesus has for us. Yes. Yeah. That's been huge in my own healing of just learning that from you and even your, your story. And, uh, and I, I just, uh, uh, want to just say thank you so much just for your vulnerability in, um, being able to bring healing into so many other people's lives through your story as well. And, but that, that, that's been huge is going, um, Hey, like there's, there's sections, like I, I go back to my um, church planning experience. And when I was a, a lead pastor, there's still that that 34-year-old dude that was so wanting to change the world for Jesus and and have this and this and this. And yeah, there may be some things that needed to get out of that guy because there were some things that are like, okay, well, maybe you're doing this for not the 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 best reason on this or this, but you also had a pure passion for this. And, and, I, and I just heard that guy say to me one time, that 34-year-old Josh go like, why do you hate me so much, man? Yes. Yeah. Like that, that's so much, again, it's heartbreaking to hear it. But yeah. it's so much integrity on your part to be able to let that younger part engage you as the person you were. And, you know, this may sound wacky to people, yeah. but it's happening all the time. Yeah. We have conversations in our head yes. with ourselves. Yes. We don't listen. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the strangest things, you know, when, as, as a therapist, when I say to people, you know, so do you not have multiple voices 
in your own head. I'm not crazy, <laughs> nor would I assume you are. Right. Nonetheless, you don't have normal conversations with yourself. Like, oh, right. where'd you put the keys? Yeah. Well, who are you talking to? Even in the Psalms, you've got yes. language like, oh, my soul, hear. Uh, yes. you know, so there is this sense of multiplicity of a sense of self. We're not talking uh, MPD, DID, or any kind of dissociative disorder. We're talking about the reality that we are interior complex. Mm. And that story of the complexity of this different parts of us, yeah. like if we want wholeness, we've got to know that integrity, oneness, has to be engaged with a multiplicity of that sense of self. And otherwise, again, that's part of the fragmentation that eventually when we become, when we see him as he is, we will become as he is. Yeah. Fully whole, fully complete. Until that day, our wholeness is only partial, but oh my goodness, it can be far more full and yes. comprehensive than what most people live with. Yes, exactly. And, and I, I wanted to go there for just a minute because I love in your book, um, you, you, you talk about this invitation to a table. You know, and and I love the the premise of an invite, right? Like like it feels so good to be invited into something, doesn't it? Like like when you are receiving that invitation, when you're a kid to go to somebody's birthday party, you're like, yes, I'm in. Or you receive an invitation to to go to some party that's a a little bit um, exquisite, or or or, or just uh, um, only certain people are going, and you got that invite, and like you just feel so good. And I love the fact that God like the the invites us in to I, I love the the theological term perichoresis which is the circle dance of the trinity um the the father son the holy spirit and 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 it's like that's how we were actually made i believe is from the intimacy of the father son and holy spirit and then he through jesus invites us back in to that great dance. And that's just such good news that, that, that we get to be in that dance, not only in heaven, um, but in the here and now, and just the power of that invitation is, is, is huge. And, it, and, and that changes me. Um, and it changed my life so much when I really got that, that like, hey, Josh, we're inviting you into this dance. Come dance with us. Let us rejoice over you with singing. And and I know that it, in, near the end of the book, you wrote, all of us are called to engage fully in our lives, but will we accept the invitation to the party? Mm. Well, it, what we try to do in the book is to say, look, uh, uh, the orphan refuses to engage the stories of betrayal. Mm. But if you will, it will help you become a priest. And what is a priest? One who holds the stories of the people and brings the stories back. And regarding the meal, the priest is the one who prepares the meal, yeah. who in one sense takes the ingredients and begins to bring them together like a good storyteller. Well, the stranger 
and both of us would fit something of that category, <laughs> actually, when you begin to address the fact that you see injustice, but you also want to arouse the heart to come to a, a deeper sense of goodness, that's the prophetic work. Yeah. So the stranger becomes the prophet mm -hmm. and the prophet is actually the one who goes out and invites. Yes. So as the priest is preparing the meal, the story, the prophet's actually saying, you're hungry and you're filling yourself with wind, with trash. Yeah. And I have a meal for you. Come. Yes. Well, the widow who often feels like I will never love again when you begin to enter into the fact that love surrounds you and you can't escape it and you were made for it. Well, often the widower or widower actually becomes the king, the, the queen. And in that sense, the king or the queen is the one who serves, yeah. who creates, shall we say, the seating, who uh, is the MC, and often who invites people now into what the good meal prepared by the priest, yes. invited through the prophet, actually is able to now join in music, in, in story, in dance, in good food. In other words, the gospel, oh my gosh, is so sensual. It is so yeah. playful. It is the good meal. And yes. that's what we're inviting people to and our own souls to is, can we dine and yes. indeed allow our own hearts to yes. be honored and delighted in yes. by the one who yes. most wants us to sit at his table? Yeah. And isn't that so much more of a beautiful story than just sign the contract, get to go to heaven one day? And, you know, just live however you want to up until that point or, you know, or just live in religion or just live, in, you know, like, like just that idea of being invited. Like, the, the, that's why I love the gospel, because the true gospel is like the most exciting thing on the face of the planet. It makes me want to jump out of the seat right now when I really think about how good it is and then how poorly we've communicated that to, yeah. to a certain degree, you know, and it, it, it's just getting back to that is so important. Well, again, let me just be crass. The religious person sucks. Yeah. Uh, and what they're sucking uh, is, is bad air. Yes. Um, and, 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 but again, it's because there's something they fear in their body about the playful sensuality and joy. But you need to hear this. Joy and sorrow are, are almost always held together. You, you can't, if you know joy, then it's because you've allowed your heart to enter into much more the depths of sorrow. Wow. And the more you enter sorrow, the more your heart needs joy, not escape, not distraction, but true joy. And, and so if we can hold lament, death, and joy, resurrection, then we've got a far clearer sense of what this invitation to the meal of God actually brings. Yeah. Yeah, which gives the another quote in the book, the clearer we are about what redemption is meant to bring, the deeper our grief is for what is not yet redeemed. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was such a brilliant line. Well, I, and, and to me, it's this. Look, every joy opens the door to what we're meant to have fully yes. and completely without stop. 
And so, you know, to be at, I was at a, a, a dear friend's wedding uh, a few days ago. And as we laughed and laughed about the redemptive process that brought this couple together and how God has moved, I mean, literally, we are at tables where we are laughing to the point we're weeping and then weeping because there has been harm. Oh, it was delicious. And yet when we ended, and Becky and I are walking away, and I looked at her and I said, I need to be in eternity right now. Wow. And I, I, I don't want to go home. Uh, I want to go home, but I don't want to go home. I want this to last. And the fact that, of course, it can't is part of that grief, even in the middle of joy. And yet, if I'm afraid of grief because I've entered trauma, then I won't be afraid of joy knowing that it will not last until we stand before him. Wow. 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 That's so amazing and so brilliant. And I just want to say thank you for all the work that you've done. If you could, um, as we close, if you could just tell people like maybe one thing that would help them on their road to wholeness today, uh, maybe to redeeming the heartache slash the trauma in their lives, what would you sit down it's Starbucks. If you could only have five minutes, I know that'd be a, a much longer conversation, probably at Starbucks or another favorite, one of your coffee shops. Um, but what, what would you sit down and tell them? Uh, we can never address the heartache and trauma of our life without another human being. Mm. And whether that's a, a remarkable good pastor, whether that's a good therapist, whether it's a good friend or combinations, this is not done in your prayer closet. Harm came relationally. Redemption comes relationally. Wow. And that means that you need to open eventually something of the nature of some of the core traumas with trusted people who will not spiritualize it and push it away or just go, well, that's life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, Yeah, that's terrible. But, you know, you just got to get on and turn lemons into lemonade. You need somebody who will attune to you who will hold the heartache with you, but also do so with a sense that the resurrection doesn't deny the death. The death does not deny the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Can we hold both together? Mm -hmm. And that's the trusted person you need to be able to open those stories with. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dan. It's been such a pleasure. And I want to encourage everybody out there to go get Redeeming Heartache. I know it will bless you and your family and it really, I think, generations to come. So thank you so much for uh, the work. I know that not only somebody is going to be watching this in the here and now, but some someday, 20 years from now or whatever it is, they're going to come across this and it's going to bless them so tremendously. And I just want to say Thank you. And uh, man, I feel like you're, you're just such a good friend already. And, uh, and thank you so much for your time today. Gosh, thank you. Hey guys, you've been listening to The Road to Wholeness and I wanna encourage you to check out www.streamsofwholeness.com or go to joshhawk.com for more resources on how we can help you on your road to wholeness.